In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sir, we would see Jesus. Today's Gospel is set right after John's retelling of the triumphal entry, what we will celebrate next week during our celebration of Palm Sunday. And John gives us clues that we are coming to the beginning of climactic actions. We are at the festival of Passover, and among those who have come to celebrate are some Greeks, more than likely non-Jews who had come from outside of Palestine and were primarily Greek, but perhaps followers of the law of Moses. As it sits right now, taken out of the larger frame of the gospel, this seems rather confusing. Why? We must remember that reading all of our lectionary readings, um, especially these stories, there is this huge arch, and that it's all connected to everything that has been happening over the last several chapters. If we go back one chapter to John 11, we have a highly dramatic and perhaps the greatest of all miracles that Jesus was to perform. Jesus raises Lazarus, who has been dead for four days. There is even some amount of protest from people because they are afraid of the stench. And out of the tomb comes Lazarus, still bound in the linens that they had buried him in. All this happens in Bethany, which is about seven miles or so from Jerusalem. Now, imagine if something miraculous occurred in Corpus Christi or Taft or even Gregory or Ingleside, all some of our closest neighbors, word would spread about what had happened. And of course, the religious leaders and the elected officials and the tabloid journalists would all want to figure out what is going on. Word of this raising is beginning to spread and eventually the religious rulers of the day can no longer stand this disruptor to their power and begin to plot. And they plot to kill Jesus. And it is something that we miss unless we read John very, very carefully. They plot even to put Lazarus to death. Why Lazarus, you might ask? As John tells us, they were planning on putting Lazarus to death because it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. The verse just before our reading begins says this, The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And into the scene comes these Greeks, people who have been hearing the news, seeing the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and they find Philip. They must have had many questions or were caught up in the excitement of being at the festival when this holy man appears, who has done what is just about the greatest thing on earth the raising of a man from the dead after four days. And the city is set on edge and full of excitement 
It would be like one of our major world figures, like the governor or the president or the pope or, for us, perhaps the Archbishop of Canterbury coming here to Portland at the time of a festival. And everyone around would have one goal, one desire, one dream perhaps, and it is to see that person, that world figure, and not just to see him, but to meet and to touch and perhaps to converse with him for a few mere moments. But not only all of that, these Greeks are fulfilling the entire prophecy that the Pharisees had made unwittingly to themselves. The whole world is going to Jesus. These Greeks, these non-Jewish folk have traveled, and what they want to do now is come to Jesus, possibly to become some of his disciples. Then, curiously, John doesn't tell us what happens. We don't know if the Greeks ever see Jesus. It just isn't in the story. But instead, we have this response that seems to indicate that Jesus understands exactly what is happening and what it means. We are shown that Jesus knows that right now, the events that we have been anticipating are upon him, and we are headed with great speed to the crucifixion. We hear about wheat falling. We hear something that reminds us of taking up our crosses, even though he doesn't say that here. And if we were to read a little further, we would see Jesus pronouncing judgment, and that the ruler of this world, that Satan, will be driven out. So, what should we gather from all of this? What are we to take away with this confusing and complex text? Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Jesus is setting the world on its head. Like wildfire that spreads across an open plain, Jesus is setting the world on a new course. And it is a course that makes perfect sense. So much so that even these non-Jews are wanting to be part of this radical new idea. They can see what Jesus is doing. And they can see the results. And they can see that Jesus is working wonders. And now, they want to see him, to be close to him, to perhaps even follow and learn from him. We wish to see Jesus. Some churches have a tradition of inscribing on their pulpit this text, Sir, we would see Jesus just in the view of whomever is preaching. Just like a pulpit that had that inscription, this is a constant reminder to all of us, each and every moment, and with each passing breath, 
that we are Christ's body here, now. When people wish to see Jesus, this is where they first look, and at each of us first, especially if people know that we profess to be Christians. We wish to see Jesus. This is a world full of hurt, sorrow, and pain. There are people whose lives are totally broken, and it is a wonder that they even function in society as well as they do. The next-door neighbor's wife is dying, and there's nothing he can do. The college friend is caught so deeply in the grasps of drugs that you know they're going to die from it. The clerk at the grocery store really doesn't know how she's going to pay rent because she has three children to feed, and the father isn't around to help. We wish to see Jesus. The world wishes to see Jesus. For many people that we meet, we are the only Christ they will ever encounter. We claim to have a story to share, a faith that transforms lives, a community that binds us together in God's love. But how often do we share that story? How often do we tell anyone how our lives have been changed? How often do we come together or even neglect to come together as that community because there is something that seems just more important than this encounter with God. Whomever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. When we share and tell and meet and show Christ alive and active in our lives as individuals, but also our lives as this community of faith, people will recognize that Jesus is here, that Jesus is among us, and that Jesus is active here and now in this world. My friends, this week, think and pray on how you can be Jesus in this world. Thousands of people are lonely for one reason or another, and some of them are people that you know. Give them a phone call or a text message or bake them some cookies and take them if you can. In virtually every city in town, there are the down and out, those who are, those who are needing just a little help. And this week, our food pantry will be open on Tuesday. 
So come and help the volunteers who are usually here because this week they're going to be shorthanded. And what many of these people whom they serve really need is not just food and provisions, but also someone who looks them in the eye and by their words and actions says to them, Jesus loves you. But if you say that you aren't comfortable with that, then perhaps you can find someone in your neighborhood who is struggling with their yard or their house needs a little paint or you know that their disability prevents them from going to the store to get what they need. Or even sending a newspaper clipping or a web post to someone because it made you think about them. Or, 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 I don't know what you will encounter when you leave here today. But few are the moments when we can't be sharing the love of God that we know in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sir, we would see, we wish to see Jesus. That is the cry of this world right now. And for many people who have been hurt, even hurt by the church, for them to see Jesus starts with you and with me. A prayer of self-dedication. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to thee. So guide our minds. So fill our imaginations. So control our wills that we may be holy thine, utterly dedicated unto thee, and then use us, we pray thee, as thou wilt, and always to the glory and welfare of thy people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A prayer attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. 
where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. A prayer of St. Ephraim the Syrian. O Lord and Master of my life, keep from me the spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power, and idle chatter. Instead, grant to me, your servant, the spirit of wholeness of being, humble-mindedness, patience, and love. O Lord and King, grant me the grace to be aware of my sins and not to judge my brothers. For you are blessed now and ever and forever. Amen.